Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on feeding extended family for free, responding to racial jokes and slurs, invasive questions for essential workers, and addressing an email during difficult times. For Awesome Etiquette Sustaining members, our question of the week is about reflecting on past behaviors. Plus your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript where we literally take a trip down memory lane. All that coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of our home offices in Vermont and is proud to be produced by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. And we got a little blast from the past this week. It was very timely. We did. We absolutely did. We heard from Jackson, who was uh, the producer, I believe, or booker over at uh, Dinner Party Download for years and spent many a month (laughs) during our time doing a a once-a-month segment on that show, reaching out to us, sending us questions, seeing how we're doing, a real behind-the-scenes part of that experience. And Jackson is now booking for other shows, other podcasts and shows, and and reached out to see if we wanted to collaborate and have some guests on our show, which I, I think we're going to be saying yes to. But it was so great, great to hear from him. But I, I almost wanted to tease him. I didn't actually tease him. But he sent his email to our generic awesome etiquette email address. And I'm going, Jackson, you've got my email. Jackson, you've got my cell phone number, like my actual personal one, not my work one. So I fully admit this, guys. At like, it was probably 11 o'clock last night. I texted Jackson and was like, Jackson, I'm just seeing your email. I hadn't checked the box all week. I'm so excited to hear from you and hear how you're doing. But it was like, I just wanted to be like, dude, just text me. (laughs) No, he feels like family, like AE family. And... He is AE family because he was around before Awesome Etiquette. When you mentioned the dinner party download, some of the newer listeners to this show, those of you who weren't here from show one where we talked more explicitly about the origins of the show being a guest appearance that Lizzie and I used to do monthly on an American public media show called the dinner party download. And it was those monthly meetings where we joined hosts Brendan and Rico to answer etiquette questions. And they had a section on their show where they used to ask etiquette questions to celebrities and they would get really outrageous answers. So the Rolling Stones answer your etiquette (laughs) question or Ed Asner answers your etiquette question or 
you, you name it. That show Dave Barry. had a great booker and his name was Jackson. <laughs> and he used to get really great guests. But what they discovered was that they actually wanted somewhat serious answers. And their audience really responded to Lizzie <laughs> and I coming on and giving an answer that was rooted in some basic etiquette concepts. And the origin of this conversation about etiquette that was a little more informal was achieved or it happened i guess you could say it's definitely where we got our feet wet and where we got our first taste for for what a show could sound like what answers and responses from audience could be like we gleefully cling to the wonderful compliment that we got from the dinner party download audience of could you save our question for the posts please i mean like every time i saw that it just made me feel like it warmed my heart and made me feel like oh my gosh people like what we do and that all built into getting a phone call from someone else whose name those of you who have been with us from day one or who have gone through the archives will recognize, and that is Hans Buto. And long ago, on a summer afternoon, we set up a phone call to discuss the fact that um, American public media wanted to create a network of podcasts, and they were interested in doing an Emily Post etiquette podcast, and would we be interested? Oh, would we? <laughs> it's only our dream. <laughs> what a great idea, Hans. What did you have in mind? We'd be delighted to talk with you about that. Oh, a 40-minute Q&A show? We would love that. <laughs> and Hans really shepherded us through the development of Awesome Etiquette. He served as a sounding board, as a source for ideas and inspiration, as a check on some of our more ambitious and maybe unrealistic goals. And he, by the time we had worked with him for a couple months, we really had the structure for the show that you're listening to now pretty well established. We really relied and leaned on our audience. And it hasn't changed too, too much since. No, for for the questions that are the meat and substance of the show. But we've got the feedback section and the postscript and the etiquette salute. And the way that that comes together was also something that Lizzie and I didn't have a lot of experience with. Editing sound, getting a final recording to simulate or achieve something close to the experience that you have when you're in the room. Recording it takes more wizardry than you might imagine. And it was just such a treat to work with such competent professional people to help us figure out how to do that. So sadly, though, after about 100 episodes, Hans got, I would, I want to say promoted to another podcast without being insulting to us. But he did. And that show is called Terrible Thanks for Asking. And he actually has stayed at that show up until the end of 2019 when Hans, major congratulations and kudos. So he is the senior producer of audio content at the New York Times now. Just huge congratulations and claps to, to Hans. Just It's been awesome following his career since he was with us on Little Awesome Etiquette. <laughs> I think his humor had a really big impact on this show, quietly. I think behind the scenes, his sort of irreverence um, was was one of the things that really got us going and encouraged Lizzie and I to try to bring some of ourselves to this podcast. So I will second that congratulations from my cousin and 
out of thanks, Hans, for everything that you do. The people you're working with now are very lucky. But as we continue our little walk down memory lane, as is often the case with transitions, that transition away from Hans as a producer and eventually our transition away from the podcast network at American Public Media opened the door for us to do something else that was pretty exciting, which was work much more closely. Build our own team. (laughs) With some of the folks we knew from uh, Vermont Public Radio Uh, Chris Albertine, who is our current sound engineer and just does such an incredible job on this show. We uh, love and adore Chris Albertine. He's also our editor. He edits the entire show, too. (laughs) He does. And someday, and we hope to hear from you to uh, add your voices to the chorus of two here behind the mics to get Chris to step out from behind that soundboard and uh, maybe add his own New York sense of humor to this show just a little bit. (laughs) it's one of the saddest things about not recording in studio with him anymore at this point is because chris has these wonderful new york comments that come out and i can only call them new york because it's new yorkers who have this like amazing ability to like make a comment or a dig at something and somehow it just doesn't even come off as rude it just it's funny it's entertaining it's bringing value it's like whether it's serving as a check whether it's serving as a nudge whether it's serving as encouragement it's like it's it's really funny but it's it's this interesting space um and chris occupies it really really well it's a little harsh yeah exactly it's a little harsh it's a little critical but it's also pretty real and usually and usually very witty (laughs) exactly which somehow adds that value that you're talking about so it's not just taking people down a notch it's like oh i'm gonna take this down a notch and at the same time i'm gonna say something kind of insightful that's gonna be revealing about what i'm talking about and we then lean back in our chairs and say, Chris, can like, we just put that in the it. show? And he says no. He never lets us. I always have to cover his face with a, with a with an emoji if we, we capture a picture of him. Um, but he is he is a riot and he's a bit, been a delight to work with. And and you also have to know that behind the scenes, I mean, we've really gotten to know Chris over the years. We watched him fall in love with his wife, Betsy, and we went to his wedding um, and we've, we've seen him become a stepdad in that family and to adult children. Um, but it's, it's seeing his life blossom and change over the six years of the show has actually for us been a big part of that show that we don't always get to share with you, you know, mostly for protecting people's privacy, but it is a big part of it. I mean, Betsy brings us treats often. Do you realize I have not had a blueberry Betsy muffin in freaking four months and it's like I don't need anything else on my thighs right now but I could really do with a Betsy muffin you guys she gets that kind of like like that crisped top to the muffin so that the dome of the muffin like is like that little bit of sugary buttery crumble I mean it it gets you and then it's soft and the blueberries are like juicy and oh my gosh does she know how to make a muffin it's so good it's so good and we haven't had them we haven't had any betsy treats in four months when you said (laughs) betsy's name i said okay because we have named betsy we're gonna have to talk about the baked goods for a little while now so thank you for taking us there as well (laughs) and no pressure betsy i'm sorry for doing it in such graphic detail but 
You know, yeah, no pressure, Betsy, but we do have mailing addresses. We would totally take you up on extra baked goods. I'll do yard work in exchange for them. (laughs) But there's another person beyond our wonderful Kristen Betsy who's joined our team. And she is young and she is fun. And her name is Bridget Dowd. And she has been a huge asset. Um, She has helped take over a lot of the script writing off my hands <laughs> so I can focus on writing and she she goes through all the questions and the feedback and she's often forwarding us uh, responses and comments and things like that and it's been really exciting to see her blossom and she had a real drive to want to learn how to produce and work on podcasts and so we started working together on that. And um, she's just, she's come so far and we're so proud of her. It's fun picking up the phone and talking to Bridget about the show or about what's going on. You know, in, in the rest of her life outside of Awesome Etiquette, she does amazing things. She's like a rock climber and she's a pet lover and she works also in radio. And so to her, the entire audio experience and audio storytelling is something that she wants to help bring to it. She created an interview for us for people to get to know Dan and me a little bit better. That's in our bonus content over on our Patreon site. But she she does really care about storytelling. And what, I love it whenever she sends us clips of the news pieces that she's done. And she's she's really good at what she does. So we're really glad to have her here and also to have someone with a young mind. I hate saying it that way, but it is true. Dan and I are like, you know, we're 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 middle like middle aged age now. <laughs> we were younger when this started, guys. Dan's got two kids and some gray hairs. <laughs> there are a few other people that we should mention just as we continue our little walk down memory lane, and that are all the guests that have been on the show and have helped us continue to deliver episodes. And I know that some of those guest hosts are also regular listeners to this show. So um, Cindy Post Senning, Peter Post, Bill Post, thank you so much for your support of Lizzie and I through the Emily Post Institute, but also specifically your willingness to put yourself out there, come on the show, get on the mic and talk about your family. Are you guys going to go in on this with me and say, um, Dan, you're missing one very important member who's been a guest multiple times. And it was the reason I your thought wife. of it to begin with. And I guess, but thank you, Lizzie, for, for being the one. So it's not me just uh, going and, and, and giving kudos to my spouse. <laughs> No, but Pooja has been a guest on the show a number of times. I love the episode where Pooja and I got to be together on the show without you. And she took on even this almost like announcer, like radio host personality. It was awesome and so much fun to bounce off of. I was like, this is way too much fun. We got to have more Pooja on the show. (laughs) I think she'd do it. But you're right. It's been really fun doing the show with our different guests. Um, and it's it's been fun to bring in family members, especially, um, because they do have a tie to this, you know, and they do always ask whenever we go to the holidays, you know, what's going on at the Institute? How's it going? How is it going? Or I remembered a story that I wanted to tell you guys. Someone reached out to me, you know, it's nice. It's nice to involve them and get our audience to get to know them. What I'm realizing as we do that list is that there's one other family member who I would love to get on the show who I don't think has done it yet, and that's Peggy Post. Oh, 
who really carried the tradition for a number of years on her own, was the solo author on a couple editions of the big etiquette book, and I think would be a voice that our audience would be really interested to hear. It's sometimes a little tough to coordinate with her. She's enjoying her retirement in Florida, but I think we could do it. I think we could get her. Well, a blast from the past and a walk down memory lane has brought us to future ideas. (laughs) It has indeed. Do you think we should close this intro and bring us to some questions? I think we should. Let's get to some questions. Awesome etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, Mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions. You can email your next question to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. On Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette. Just remember to use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your social media post so that we know you want your question on the show. Our first question is titled, Free Food for the Family. Dear Lizzie and Daniel, first of all, thank you so much for putting out such a wonderful podcast. I always look forward to listening and find your answers to be so insightful and always kind. Since I'm having a bit of an issue myself, I thought I would write in for the first time. My husband's sister is in the habit of asking us to pick up food on the way to her house. She has four young children, so we often go there versus them coming here. We only have one son who is two. She'll usually ask us to go to a nearby restaurant and get the takeout order, 
pick up pizza, or stop at the store to pick up a few ingredients. This usually ends up being much of the meal, such as hamburgers and hot dogs plus a side, or all of the ingredients necessary for a pasta night. While we are happy to help, she never pays us back or even mentions it. We are also not offered anything to drink, and they will drink their drinks right in front of us without offering. We are asked to cook and clean the whole kitchen and often leave feeling a bit off. We are happy to host and provide all of the food and drink, but are rarely taken up on our offers. Is there a polite way to ask for payment for some of the food that we pick up, or should we stop picking up food in general and make an excuse as to why we can't? It's very important to my husband that we go every two weeks or so, as that's the only time he gets to see his family. Thank you, Rachel. Oh, Rachel, this is definitely an awkward family situation. You're dealing with a couple of things here. And I guess the first thought that comes to my mind is that part of the difficulty here is that the rudeness is coming from another party here. And it can be difficult to correct other people's behaviors. The, the simplest fixes are not in your hands. That puts a lot of responsibility on you. And my first thought from that angle is that this might be, and this is sort of a, a, a tough reality situation, a, a pay-to-play kind of situation where your husband's really committed to seeing his family and this is the the best that they can organize that the four kids are just a lot and the assumption is that you with two kids are going to have to carry more of the load to make it happen on any kind of regular or consistent basis and that that they might have internalized that thought and are just leaning on it at this point. That's awkward. And it also might be that it's your responsibility to say whatever that cost is, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to pay it for the sake of family relationships. And part of that's a material cost and part of it is the psychological cost. That's a lot to ask of you, but in some ways that's the easiest, quickest solution. It might in fact even be that Rachel's husband, who's expressed that this is really important to him to go over there at least every two weeks, has already decided for himself that this is the cost in doing that, that in order to be able to go over there about every two weeks, we're just going to pay for dinner and they're not going to offer us stuff and we're going to do all the cooking and cleaning. And that's just how it's going to go. And he might just have said, OK, we're just this is the way it is. And I think that the disconnect might be happening then when Rachel's like, no, but I don't feel like this is a good, you know, host guest family interaction going on. It doesn't feel right to me to go over there, pay for everything, do everything, not be thanked, not be offered anything. And that was when Dan and I discussed this question ahead of time. One of the points he brought up was that even if there was some way just to encourage a thank you to happen... And that's a, that is a really, really tough piece of etiquette advice to deliver to someone. Excuse me, could you thank me more? Could you appreciate me a little bit more? I'd feel better about this if just maybe, maybe you acknowledged it. We all really know that. We all really feel that. It's super, super real. Way harder than, oh, dude, you got broccoli on the tooth. Like, way, way, way harder. And it's worth saying because... This kind of relationship where sort of reciprocal hosting or reciprocity in the host-guest relationship isn't always achievable. And if that is the practical framework that you're dealing with, a genuine, sincere thank you to the person who's expending effort is so worthwhile. 
let's transition and talk about things that Rachel could do in this situation that, that might address some of the specific questions and make it easier to bear that psychological cost or or, or the material cost. But my, my guess is that it's that psychological cost that's the bigger drain in this situation. So the the brain goes to the two two classics that my confrontational brain usually goes to and those are do you speak up and say something and if you're going to speak up and say something how and when are you going to do it because there are some schools of thought that would say with the drinks thing for instance i might just say I fully admit I am a host who often forgets to offer someone who just stops by quickly or something like that a glass of water. I have to make myself remember. And so that's one where I'm like, oh, I don't know. Maybe they're doing it intentionally. Maybe they're not. But it's one where I might just say like, oh, do you mind if I grab a glass of water? They may also think of you guys as such family that it's expected that you walk in and serve yourselves. That's one where you could you could test out a little bit leaning into it and saying, oh, great. Mind if I grab a soda or, you know, great. Oh, here, I could grab a bowl to put those in or something like that. They're giving you a lot of space to play as host and free range in the house when they're asking you to do the cooking and the cleaning. You might lean in a little bit. If that's not the direction you want to go when you it comes to uh, actually saying something more directly. Uh, This is where, and you know me, I always lean into this direction, is I would talk to my husband, I would talk to my partner who is related to this family more directly, and I would say, listen, I'm I'm struggling, you know, with this part of it. And if we are going to make a change in that department, if, if the two of you have decided we're not going to lean in Dan's direction of this might just be pay to play, let's just take take the, the hit on this for a little while, then you say we've got to address it. Do we have you, her brother, talk, you know, the brother talk to his family um, directly and say, hey, you know, we love coming over and we want to make this a regular thing, but it is starting to feel like a, a little either taxing financially or like we come over and we're not sure if we're allowed to help ourselves to things but at the same time we do all the cooking and cleaning we're just hoping to kind of balance out the get together a little bit more you if that kind of conversation is going to work great if it's not you know you might take that quick lean in approach of like um they call and say hey can you pick up you know take out from the vietnamese place on the way there Sure, great. Sounds like the order will be about 80 bucks. Okay, if we split the cost and just ask then when that order is being made or when you're being requested to go pick something up about how that cost is going to be split before you say yes to picking it up. Dan, what do you think? To me, the parallel there is is immediate to the the RSVP expectation that when you accept an invitation, that's the time to map out the conditions. Oh, I'd love to come to your dinner party. I am having trouble eating X, Y, or Z right now. Could I offer to bring something? Or is there something on the menu that doesn't have X, Y, or Z? It's those conversations that happen around the establishment of the event where oftentimes it's easiest to set the parameters that you're comfortable with. Oh, I'd be happy to stop by the store. I've I've did it the last few times. Could you call it in and pay the bill over the phone? I'd be happy to pick it up. It is a, a very reasonable thing to say to someone who you've got a sort of familial, casual, back and forth relationship with. You're not saddling them with the bill. You're offering to help. You're offering to contribute. But you're giving some indication about 
a division that'll make you feel more comfortable. It is also okay if you've done that kind of preparatory work to follow up. If they don't then offer to pay half when you show up or to pay the bill over the phone so you can just pick it up, it's okay if that's been part of your agreement when you discussed what you're going to do for you to follow up and say, oh, hey, I've got the receipt. I was hoping to get half of it. Do you have cash? Would it be better if I Venmoed you a receipt or how how, how would you like to settle up? And you give them that opportunity to, to participate in whatever way makes the most sense for them. And hopefully that should let them pick up the ball in some way that's going to be more equitable moving forward. Rachel, we know this is a lot to parse out, but it's kind of like step step one in our minds is definitely you and your husband getting on the same page about what you're willing to expect and willing to take on from these visits. And then together figuring out if that means you're going to communicate that to your in-laws. But mostly, I hope that you are able to find a way, whether it's a, a frame shift or whether it's actually addressing the issue, to move forward with having these great interactions between you and your in-laws and all the kids and their cousins. It sounds like you guys have a big family with a lot of, like, a, a lot of good intention. My, that was fun, wasn't it? Doing things together is fun. It can be in your family, too. Whether it's seeing movies, as this family does, or working and playing together in other ways, as other families do. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Our next question is about a response to racial slurs. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I'm wondering if you could provide me a short answer to the best way to comment or call out an inappropriate racial slur or joke. I know it probably depends on your relationship with the person and how it was said, but maybe just a general line for an acquaintance, white person, and I am white, or also someone who may be older. Thank you so much for all that you do, Tracy. Tracy, I definitely think we... We always want to start this with the, the word safety and that you want to make sure that you feel safe about taking action if you choose to take action. And I think that's always just the first filter to pass through. After that, I think it really it, it I almost don't want to say it depends on the situation, even though I know that that is the truth. But I think in some form, figuring out what your different levels of response can be so that you have them in your back pocket ready to go to. I know the times when I've said, I don't find that funny. Or, you know, to me, I'm not comfortable hearing language like that. I don't appreciate being around it. I do go more serious with my tone with it. I just that's that's not a joke in my book. Those kinds of things are the things that I'll say when I do feel comfortable speaking up. And if I don't, I often just excuse myself or walk away. I really have a hard time sitting around laughing at things that aren't funny. So it's for me that that's how I tend to handle those situations. I really like your answer, Lizzie. And one of the things I like the most about it is how 
true it is. And we talk about honesty being an important component for good etiquette, but part of being honest is being sincere, being genuine with yourself. And if you're in a situation where somebody is saying things that you really don't agree with that are making you uncomfortable, I think part of being sincere and authentic is acknowledging that to yourself and to the person who's causing that discomfort. So I don't find that funny with a serious tone and a willingness to leave or disengage if they won't correct it, I think are really reasonable and wise first courses of action. You know, one of the other tactics that you can lean into is is that that is a bit more leaning in the direction of if, if you're with someone who's willing to maybe have, and I don't want to say like an educational moment, but but a moment where they explore and learn and it's someone you feel you could broach that with, you might say something like, you know, for me, what you just said really falls under the category of, of privilege. And it's, it's what privilege sounds like when we talk. And it, it's funny because it's not always what people imagine it sounds like. And those are ways to start to engage in calling out our question asker, Tracy, did refer specifically to a racial slur or joke, which I think much more falls under the category of the blatants. I don't find that funny or that's not language I'm willing to to tolerate being around. Um, whereas I think there's a, there are a lot of other things people say that falls under that category. Of they're just not aware yet that what they're saying is really hurtful. I like to give that benefit of the doubt. It's not always there. Sometimes people are really aware of the things that they're saying and how hurtful they are. But I do find that there are situations where approaching it from that, you know, I really learned that that's what, that's what white privilege sounds like. Or I really learned that's not what I thought it was. I think admitting those kind of things and moving those things forward is, is perfectly appropriate. Also, be smart. See where you get. You know, it's like the people, sometimes they're ready to have those conversations. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're ready to let you just brush off and walk away. And sometimes they're not. And that's why we say put safety first. Lizzie, you had a sample script in our show notes that goes something like, I've learned that saying things like X, Y, or Z are, are often heard differently by other people or by others. And I liked that idea also of, of doing education, doing it in a way that's not um, sort of hypercritical or accusatory, but also includes you as part of this learning process. You're sort of acknowledging that maybe I didn't know before that that thing that you just said might really be offensive to someone, but now I know it. And guess what? I wanted to clue you in because I think you'd want to know that also. And that's a, a spirit or a tone to education that can start to take something that someone could feel really defensive about and give them a point of access or a way to to see it the way you see it, which is really the best possible outcome here. Or just to, to hopefully gain more perspective. Yeah. Tracy, we hope that that helps. It's certainly a difficult topic and not always easy. And we hope that you are able to find good solutions for the situations you may encounter this in. Our next question is titled, Etiquette for Essential Workers. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I'm an essential worker who works in the service industry. Specifically, I'm a teller at a local credit union in my small, relatively rural area. 
I love my job, and one of my favorite aspects of my daily work is making small talk and pleasant conversation with the members I serve. Usually, this consists of a very polite and brief conversation that occurs during the one or two minutes it takes for me to process a member's transaction. I will ask how their day is going, what their weekend was like, or compliment them on something I like about their style or something of that nature. Typically, most members engage in this brief small talk, but it doesn't go further than that. Occasionally, though, I get asked a strangely personal question that sounds something like, how much do you make? Or do they pay you well enough? This has always caught me off guard since we are generally not supposed to answer these types of questions around members of the public or our coworkers who work in close proximity to me. Even if I were allowed to discuss the information about my wages, I don't know that I would personally want to. This question has gotten even more uncomfortable with the addition of, are they giving you hazard pay or versions of that inquiry since COVID-19 has affected our area and caused a change in protocols? My employer is a great employer to work for and has a positive company culture. I feel that I make a fair amount of money for the work that I do, and I feel respected and appreciated at work. I appreciate that members are concerned for my well-being and want to make sure I am well compensated, but I just always get so caught off guard when asked this question that I can never come up with an eloquent response. When I have asked my supervisor in the past how she would like me to reply to this question, she simply reminded me that our organization's policy is not to disclose this information. But somehow it feels like I'm hiding something to simply respond by saying, I'm not allowed to disclose that, sorry. I'm curious to hear how you would deal with the scenario in which a service employee is being asked a very specific and, in my opinion, rude, but probably well-intentioned question. Do you have any sample language that is not off-putting yet respects the company's policy of not revealing such personal information? Thank you in advance for your response and thanks for everything you do on the show. You bring such joy and positivity into my week every Monday. Sincerely, Confused in California. Confused in California, I'm sorry that you're feeling confused. You have laid out a very clear situation for us to respond to, and that has helped clarify a lot of the confusion. You are already doing a lot of the work that Lizzie and I would suggest. You've talked to your supervisor about what it is you're supposed to say. You've internalized your own feelings about the place that you work, how comfortable you are with it, and how you're paid. You're coming from a place that's pretty well put together, and I think it's going to let us give you an answer that's pretty short. You are definitely dealing with rude behavior here. Yeah. Confused in California mentions it, and it's it's the truth, you know? in my opinion, rude. And so that instantly shows me I don't love this question coming to me. I, I don't find it something that even if I could, I want to discuss. And I think even that was explicitly said here. And therefore, I think you've, you've already gotten to the place of you would like to find ways to deflect this, not only because your company asks you to not talk about it, but also because you personally wouldn't really want to talk to about it. For me, that gives you a lot of agency to say, um, oh, I'm sorry, I can't discuss pay, or I'm sorry, I don't discuss pay, but I love my job. And if, if you're looking to know that, I feel great about where I work. Like, I think those are ways to kind of get at what's going on here. But 
in a friendly way, not deflecting, but saying, you know, I, I don't discuss what I get, you know, for a living or, you know, I'm, I'm not comfortable discussing hazard pay with you. <laughs> um, but still letting them know I like where I work. Cause I think that's what Dan, as you pointed out when we discussed this question earlier together, that, the the thing this person cares about is they have a good job and they understand the other person is just trying to be well-intentioned. You know, they're trying to say, are you taking care of? Well, and I think there is a good intention behind the question and it's really rude. So the, 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 the point of etiquette is that you're not supposed to ask people probing or personal questions if they haven't opened the door to the conversation. And the little mnemonics, little memory device that Lizzie and I use for thinking about the most intimate or personal conversations is that they're conversations that have to do with family or finance. And I kind of throw health under that family umbrella. But if you're going to ask people questions about their family or their money, you want to be really confident that that door has been open to the conversation, that you know the person well enough to have that kind of a conversation, that you've asked permission to have that kind of a conversation. And I don't hear any of that going on here. This isn't a scenario where that's possible. So both from a professional standpoint and from a personal standpoint, from a social standpoint, you are not obligated to answer this question. And you're not even necessarily obligated to be polite in your reply. You can just decline. Like a declining is polite. Oh, that's I'm a, so glad you brought this it's up. It's a boundary <laughs> setting that is a totally appropriate boundary setting that lets someone know their question wasn't appropriate or appreciated. Uh, um, but I like the Lizzie approach. I like the idea of softening this. Just so you all know, it is so weird for the two of us to talk about not being polite. <laughs> But at the same time, it's real. There are these moments where you d you don't have to be rude about it, but you do kind of get to live in the space of we're 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 not in the realm of polite right now because you've asked me how much I make for a living while I'm sitting in an open air environment and my colleagues are around and like and we don't have an established relationship. Yes, exactly. No, exactly, Dan. It's all those things that make that moment like, and the other person isn't getting it. They just think that they're reaching out to make sure that you have a helpline in case somehow you aren't being paid properly. And it's that good intention that I really want to acknowledge. Because while we've been very clear that this is rude, I wouldn't respond in a harsh or cold way because a lot of rudeness comes from people who are either unaware or who have good intentions that are coming across differently than they intend. And I am really strongly guessing that the intent of that question is for the person who's asking it to show that they have concern for you and your well-being, concern that you're being paid enough to play a, a role that they feel is supportive in their life and that they might be wanting to know this so that they could advocate on your behalf or modify their relationship with the employer in a way that is sensitive and aware of that that situation. So in some ways, I'm, I'm trying to put on the person who's asking this question the best possible of intentions. And that's, and that's not a big stretch for me in this case. So I like the idea of an answer that both denies the information that they're requesting I don't talk about my pay or it's our policy that we don't talk about pay at work, but then softening that by telling them exactly what you've told us, that you feel good about the place you work and the way you're treated there. 
that you feel respected there. I think those are all things that if I was concerned about how someone at a place that I patronized was being treated and I asked an inappropriate question and I got that as a response, it would make me feel better. I would feel like the intent of my question was answered. Confused in California, we hope that this helps cut through the confusion just a little bit and we're so delighted that you've got a job that you find satisfying. So you learn to share with others. You'll like it. Your friends will like you too. Our final question today is titled Anxious Emailer. Hi, Dan and Lizzie. Thank you so much for the work that you do. As a person with social anxiety, listening to and learning from awesome etiquette has given me a lot of peace in my day-to-day interactions with others. I have a question about letter and email writing during these difficult times. I usually begin letters or emails with, I hope this letter slash email finds you well. Is that still appropriate now when so many people are going through a hard time? Can you please give me some alternative openings? Thanks again, Eve. Eve, we actually talked about this in a number of uh, media interviews over the past couple of months. People saying things like, boy, the regular old, how are you doing? Or, you know, how are you holding up? It just feels tough. And it feels tough to say, you know, I hope I hope this finds you well. But at the same time, that one, I think is actually still a really good line. Sometimes I've seen a lot of a lot of people, especially in the past couple of weeks saying, you know, I hope you're doing all right through these difficult times or things like that. Maybe not so much. I hope you're doing well, but kind of softening it down just a little bit. Not like I hope you are having the best, most amazing week of your life while there is a lot of unrest. That's, you know, obviously not the direction you want to go. So instead, you know, I hope this email finds you safe. I hope this email finds you doing all right right now. Those things, I think, help tone it down a little bit if well feels too big right now. I was trying, I hope this finds you keeping busy, staying warm, staying dry, well rested. So other things about someone's state of being but are maybe more specific to weather or season or for the degree of work is it that bad a team if i make a joke dan it's june who needs to be warm <laughs> listen some of those summer nights can get kind of cold all right guys remember dan lives on a mountain in vermont <laughs> okay so it's it, we're, we're well below ten thousand feet here okay and by the way <laughs> that okay is how anisha talks my three-year-old has revealed to me every language construction that I overuse and okay to elicit agreement is something I say all the time. So my three-year-old says, so dad, we're going to have dinner now. Okay. (laughs) Um, Other ways to open emails. Yeah. The, I hope this finds you is sort of one sentence that you can modify. You can also go with something as simple as good morning or good afternoon, particularly for something that's arriving in a timely manner, like a email or a text or an instant message or something like that, that that's another way that you can begin without jumping right into the purpose of the email that just sort of says, hi, good morning, good afternoon, and doesn't put any onus on them to sort of reflect on their state of being. There's another way you can use it too, which is to not use it in the beginning, but to use it as as a way of wishing someone well at the close. And so rather than hoping that the email finds them well, you're hoping that, you know, 
I hope you have a good weekend or I hope you take care over the weekend, things like that. Um, I, I'm saying weekend because we're recording on a Friday. You know, I think that's another way of kind of getting the the good intention and the, the kind of care for someone that these types of messages are supposed to be acknowledging. There's also, I, I do just want to stretch the conversation a little bit because there's a whole group of people that want to drop these types of niceties from emailing entirely. They find it inefficient. They find it obvious. Like, you know, they also, I think they think of the work day as more of like a, a get work done day. And so that efficiency becomes the priority over the niceties that you might share. I noticed that we have a, um, one of the companies that helps manages uh, podcast sponsors. Every single person who emails from that company gives you some kind of a well wish about your day. Even when you call to call the company, they express that they hope you're having a great day. It is ingrained in the company that you wish people well and inquire after them or, or wish them a good weekend, that sort of thing. And it's, it's across every single person who's ever worked there. Every email says something like that each time. So it's actually like a bigger topic on efficiency and also on kind of company culture too. I still like it. And I particularly like it early on in an exchange. <laughs> I do too. I, I, I find that the, the folks that I work with that are all about business, that are placing a high premium on efficiency, that I'm pretty comfortable dropping those niceties as a chain develops. And oftentimes we get very information exchange by about the third email. I still like that first email Dan's speaking about me to have just a little <laughs> bit of something, just just acknowledge the humanity of both parties, just to to open the door and start this thing off on the right foot. I don't think it's inefficient. I think it's an investment. I think yeah. it's nice. I think it's nice. Eve, we hope that that helps you think about some different ways to address the topic as a whole in your emails and gives you some sample language for toning things down during difficult times. Good work investing in those relationships. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or you can find us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your social media post so we know you want your question on the show. If you love Awesome Etiquette, consider becoming a sustaining member. You can find out more about this by visiting us at patreon.com slash awesomeetiquette. You'll get an ads-free version of the show, access to bonus questions and content, plus you'll feel great knowing you help to keep Awesome Etiquette on the air. And to those of you who are already sustaining members, thank you for your support. It's time for our feedback segment where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And today we hear from Catherine about episode 299 and the question on destination weddings. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I appreciate your perspective on the question about destination weddings and the suggestion to focus on the question, what makes you feel married? My fiance and I started with that question as well, and it helped our framing. What also helped was the book, How We Meet and Why It Matters, by Priya Parker, which suggested when deciding on the purpose of an event to make that purpose divisive or divisive. While it may sound counterintuitive, the idea is that a divisive purpose helps make decisions over the course of planning an event. 
An example for weddings can be whether the purpose of the reception is to gather everyone that will support the marriage through the couple's lives, in which case priority would go to inviting other couples and friends who will be at similar life stages with the couple going forward. Or the purpose could be to celebrate the two families becoming one, in which case priority would go to inviting family members and making sure that they can all attend. The author also gives an example for baby showers and whether the purpose should be to celebrate a new mother or if the purpose is to celebrate both members of a couple as they become new parents together. Deciding on that purpose may help the questioner decide if a destination wedding serves the purpose of the event. In any case, best of luck planning and congratulations, best, Catherine. Catherine, thank you. I think that's great feedback. I'm, of course, always going to lean into more of that decide on a purpose rather than come up with something divisive. But that's just my brain geeking out on positivity right there. <laughs> I am totally with you there, cuz. We have a second piece of feedback, and it's a short one, but it's from Anonymous. Congratulations on 300 shows and counting. I appreciate your growing cultural sensitivity. Earlier shows reference white lies, and now you thoughtfully say innocent lies. Also, as a gender-fluid person, I appreciate that you don't assume listeners' genders, nor their partners' genders. Thank you from the bottom of my heart, Anonymous. Anonymous, you are most welcome. Thank you for your feedback and for listening to the show. Hear, hear. And thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please do keep them coming. You can send your next question, feedback, comment, or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can also leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment, where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. Only this week, we're not really diving into a topic of etiquette. <laughs> Instead, we are going to take a trip down memory lane for all of our 300 episodes that you have been with us for, 301 now. There have been a lot of consistencies, a lot of laughs. There have been some guests. There have been topics that we never expected would become major topics on this show. And there's also been a lot of just getting to know Dan and me over the years. And we thought it would be really fun to share some clips from Memory Lane. I've got to say, Lizzie, it's been so much fun for me to revisit the early days of this show. I hope that our audience enjoys some of this early audio as much as we did. Shall we start with um, the beginning? Let's start with the beginning. Hello. 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 And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette. After 300 episodes, you followed us through almost six years of our lives and six years of etiquette in America and abroad, thanks to our international audience. We've gotten it right. We've gotten it wrong. We've put together oh so many sample scripts. And together, we have learned so much. We always start the show with an intro, unscripted, where Lizzie and I catch up on our lives and work and check in. Here are some of the highlights from all those check-ins. My, how life has changed. <laughs> at the Emily Post Institute, we know that people come to us at four major life events, and one of them <laughs> is when they get married. I'm engaged! Yay! 
<laughs> In fact, she said, yes, yes, yes. Uh, dude. I know, right? Something different happened this weekend. I know. Dan and I were at a strange folk show together. We saw each other outside of work. It happened. It, it really never did. happens. <laughs> I've been playing so much golf. That doesn't really sound good, but... Okay, nobody cares about the wood pile. Do you know what is so freaking awesome Everybody cares about, about the wood pile. Ball? Do you even know? It's football season. I've been waiting for football season since the Super Bowl. And I can't disagree with you. Oh, yes, you are. And you are back. And I am a new dad. You are a new dad. Absolutely. Yeah. Give, give it to me. Give it to me. It's also our 50th show. And I feel old. No. Well, no? I, I do feel old also, <laughs> but not just because of that. <laughs> I'm just trying to show you up, that's all. Well, you're good at the scripts. Vegetables were never really my focus before. You know, I'm not judging anybody else. I've been a meat eater for years. Like, you know, I was exhausted last night. But I still finished painting the trim in my bathroom. And I put together the storage shelves. And I cleaned up my... Yes, I have a dressing room. My dressing room. And I always hear my own verbal tics. And I say to myself, I need to get better about that. And months ago, it was indeed. I was always agreeing by saying indeed. I've been so bad about my New Year's resolution. I need help. I need reminders. I need rubber bands snapping on my wrist anytime I let the wrong word fly. You've all heard so much about Pooja. It really is a delight and a pleasure to welcome her to the studio today. And Thank we also you. have in our arms mm-hmm. little Anisha. She's right here. This show is, of course, based on your etiquette questions, and we have taken your questions on some really classic, geeky etiquette themes that we just love. If you bring someone a gift when you go to meet their new baby, should they send you a thank you note? At a family-style dinner, what direction do you pass the food? Is it still incorrect to wear white to a wedding if you're not the bride? If someone invites you to their home for dinner for your birthday, do you bring something, i.e. flowers, wine, etc., or not? And we've gotten some questions that aren't as usual. I'm sitting in traffic. The lane next to me is closing up ahead for some reason. And yet people keep passing me in an effort to get to the end and then squeeze in. What is my driver's etiquette as far as letting them in? I would love to know, what is the appropriate etiquette for breastfeeding during a party? Tell us, when was the last time someone touched your hair? Has it been a day? (laughs) Was it today? It was yesterday. Unbelievable. During an opera last summer, the man behind me coughed without covering his mouth. While something like this hardly qualifies for calling in the etiquette police, in this case, the force of the cough was so strong that it literally, and I mean literally, not figuratively, blew my hair forward. And almost most of all, we've loved hearing your responses over the years. For us, the discussions on pizza toppings, zipper merges, breastfeeding, and accessible bathroom stalls are standouts that got a lot of responses. Not to mention the ever-classic Shoes On, Shoes Off. And we've introduced you to some of our family with guest hosts. And I'm Bill Post. And I'm Cindy Post-Senning. Hi, and I'm Peter Post. I'm sitting in for Dan Post-Senning today. (laughs) And to our team by thanking them each week. Thanks, Thanks, Chris Chris and Bridget. Bridget. And through it all, we know that it's because you listen that we have a show each week. That we've made it to 300 episodes. I just, I can't do this without crying. And that we carry the hope to make 300 more. 
I tried, you guys. That was like six takes and I couldn't do it without crying. Dan, take us out. Thank you for making awesome etiquette possible. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. And today, we have a salute from Laura in Washington State. Hello, awesome etiquette team. Thank you so much for your podcast. I am especially impressed with your ability to pivot recently and discuss etiquette situations that we could never have imagined six months ago. I am writing with an etiquette salute. I live about 100 miles from my mother, who is living independently in her 80s. During normal times, I see her at least once a month. But since my city is in more of a virus hotspot than her smaller town, we have only been able to connect remotely. Well, her smoke detector started chirping, and she was having trouble changing the battery. I couldn't believe she was climbing a ladder in the first place, let alone planning to go up there to wrestle with it again. I was struggling with how to help her and decided to email the fire station near her home. That same day, a crew went to her home and installed long-life batteries in all of the smoke detectors in her home. They were so responsive and kind. I was overwhelmed with relief and gratitude, and my mother was so thankful for the help and happy to have a bit of company brighten her day. My etiquette salute is to all of the first responders who help us solve the little problems in life when we don't know who else to call in addition to being there in emergencies, especially the men and women of Lacey, Washington, Fire District 3, Station 35. Thank you, Laura, in Washington State. Oh, Laura, thank you. That is a great salute. After an unbelievable 300 etiquette salutes, I'm so glad this is Salute 301. Thank you for listening. And thank you to everyone who sent us something. And thank you to everyone who supports us on Patreon. Please connect with us and share this show with friends, family, and coworkers, however you like to share your podcasts. You can send us questions, feedback, and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at Emily Post Institute. And on Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Please consider becoming a sustaining member by visiting patreon.com slash awesome etiquette. You can also subscribe to the ads version of our show on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. And please, please, please consider leaving us a review. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Thanks Chris, Chris and Bridget. Bridget.